stories, spirituality, pathways, and aliens. You're here on The Long Road Home. Hello, everybody. Hello. I'm Chad. And I'm Emily. And welcome to another episode of The Long Road Home. We're Yay. back. We, we are are back. We are literally on the long road home. We are in the middle of searching for a new place to live. Yeah. Oh. It's so. How's the housing so market in your area? Because it's shitty where we are. It's fucking bad. Bad. <laughs> I could fucking dig a hole and sell that to someone right now. The I really believe that. Sadness and anger has just grown into this giant ball of fire in my stomach. It's been really hard. Uh, <laughs> it's not been easy. <laughs> but, but how are you guys? We're doing okay. We're, we're fine. fine. We're fine. It's I'm fine. fine. Everything's going to be all right. You Don't you guys faith. worry about us. If you want to help us build a home, you can uh, join our Patreon. <laughs> Patreon.com slash the LRH show. Be a shotgun rider today. All right, guys. So we are back. We did take a week off. I had a wonderful birthday, as I mentioned in the mini-sode. And yeah. it's been pretty kind of relaxing. <laughs> like huh. I said, we've been looking for housing, so that's been... Kind of rough, but everything else has been all right. Yeah, everything else is been a-okay. The sun is finally shining again where we are, and I feel like maybe now the seasonal depression will go away. Yeah, get that sads out. Gotta Bring get back that the regular out. depression. Yeah, give me that regular depression. It's like diet depression. If it's one thing, it's consistent. I like that. <laughs> well, guys, we are back with more hour-long goodness to please those hollow spaces on your head. Some might call them ears. Now, today, we are talking about Iowa. Let's start the story by saying that corn will be mentioned as little as possible because we know everyone here is just sick of hearing about corn. Aren't you? All the time. That's all I. All people talk about to me more is how they can't afford a home and how to boil corn in different ways. Mm, hu- you know, husking the corn. Husking corn no, is shucking, quite pleasant. Sorry, shucking. shucking. Shucking corn. Shuck, shuck, shuck. It's corn actually husks. kind of pleasant. I enjoy doing that. You rip out little stringy bits and it's all warm on the porch. Did that with my grandma when I was yeah, little. Yeah, it's a good time. Super fun nostalgia. But since what I'm talking about, we're already talking about Did corn. Did you eat it? It like just we were gets in your veins. All the time. Oh, yeah. It's so fun. Yeah. All right. Enough about corn. Okay. No more corn. So instead, we're taking a trip to the Maharishi Vedic Temple in Fairfield. Yes. Fairfield, yeah. Iowa. <laughs> you heard that right. There's a Vedic temple in Iowa, incorporated in 2001 and created from the idea of a retail investor and the late spiritual guru Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. There is a town amongst all that corn whose entire identity is based around the ideas of transcendental meditation. Fucking weird. It's so crazy. Yeah, a little more lighthearted than our last couple episodes. We're going to enjoy. I actually like didn't feel sad while I was learning about this. No, me neither. <laughs> Isn't that so nice? It actually felt really nice. Yeah. Nice change of pace. Something a little more lightweight. Yeah, for sure. So let's begin by taking a quick look at what exactly it means to be Vedic. And we did talk about this in one of our very early episodes. We did. Yeah, so that Throwback. was cool. Didn't have to do a ton of research. So what is Vedic? It originated in ancient India as a Sramana tradition sometime between the 6th and 4th centuries BC. And it's one of the original, it's the, excuse me, original path that split into Hinduism and Buddhism. So this is the godfather of these two religions. So the historical Vedic religion, also known as Vedism or ancient Hinduism, and eventually later Brahmanism, refers to the religious ideas and practices among some of the Indo-Aryan peoples of the western Ganges plain of ancient India during the Vedic period, which was 1500 to 500 BC. Wasn't, didn't the original um, Buddha that we talked about and learned about, didn't he spend time with some Vedics and that's when he like fasted? And like, uh, yes, yeah, okay. yeah, I gotcha. believe so. So most of the Vedic ideas are found in what are called the Vedic texts. They we didn't talk a whole lot more about it in the Buddhism episode, but we did talk about a really cool horse sacrifice ritual. So go back and listen to that. That was pretty cool. Oh, yeah. So that's sort of what uh, being Vedic means. So now that we have an idea of what that religion or belief system is, how exactly did it make its way to a place like Iowa? I mean, there's no armed Iowans here, but I would never have taken them as a group of people that would embrace anything other than Jesus and the gods of corn, pop and candy. <laughs> I get it, because candy corn, popcorn. I got it. That was an original joke written by me. I'm here all the rest of my life, I guess, <laughs> forever. Well done. I'll be here forever. <laughs> 
Well, in order to understand how this made its way to Iowa, we must first take a look at Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, the Indian guru now famous for reviving transcendental meditation and bringing it into the Western world. Now, we won't get into the early life of the guru, but we will talk for a moment about who he was. A moment. This is a lot of the podcast, guys. He Honestly, he's, it's a, he, I, I did not know when we started learning this. He's the guru that uh, the Beatles hung out with. Yeah, a lot and of celebrities so hung out with him. He's famous as fuck. Very famous. And he he is like the guy that brought a lot of this to the Western world. Which so isn't it's super that so interesting. interesting, though, to have like a really famous like Buddhist? I don't, I just something about that seems really ironic to me. And I, as I know that yeah. he's a guru, but it's also like he's famous. Well, yeah, we're going to find out that it seems like a lot of the stuff in this, it is ironic. And I think as we look more into the story, like we're going to, you're going to see that maybe there's a lot more irony in here than we initially you would think. Yeah, maybe a little, some some problematic Problematic moments. is a better word yeah. than ironic, yeah. Um, so Mahesh studied physics at Alabad University and earned a degree in 1942. While a few sources say that he worked at the gun carriage factory in Jabalpur for some time, most report that in 1941 he became an administrative secretary to the Shankaracharya of Yotirmath, Swami Brahmananda Saraswati, also known as Guru Dev, which means divine teacher. I think that's what we're going to call him from now on because that's a mouthful. Um, these names, there's a, there are a couple of these names that are very hard for me so, to get And I should out. say that that was a title. Yes. What we said was the, he was secretary to the Shankacharya of Yotarmath named Swami Brahma, Brahmananda Saraswati. Big title. Yes. Big title. We'll call Doing him big Dev. things. So that at that point when he was working as an administrative secretary, Mahesh took a new name, Bal Brahmachari Mahesh. That's something that I don't fully understand about uh, Hinduism is the names, the way that people change their names as they move through different parts of their life. It's a way to let go. You know what? That makes sense. It's it a, is. Yeah, that's, a way to let go of your that's previous That's really cool. Life. It's something that I've, I've never fully understood, though. And, Mormons or, or do it, they, too. Yeah, they do, don't they? Yeah, oh, dude. I hope, I, oh, my God. Okay, man, I'm not going to take it off. I'm, I'll like, just tell you. Just I'll just take it off course. I just we got take time. it off course. We, got, we need some filler today. Okay, okay. so um, <laughs> I read recently that, you know, those, like, secret names that Mormon people get? Uh-huh. When you, like, it's like you're swearing in. It's almost like confirmation, and you are you go, and they give you your special underwear, and you get your new name. Um, apparently, they literally, just, like, groupings of people will get the same name in a day. So, like, oh, you, really? like, all these, yeah, all these Mormons go, and they think that they've gotten this special assigned name that was picked, like, a divine name picked specifically for them. Uh-huh. Um, but really, if you go into that specific temple on that specific day... You're just named Phoebe or whatever. Oh, like the woman, really? Yeah, her name it was like all women that go into that temple that day. They're all their secret name is all Phoebe. That's very cult like. I know, isn't that crazy? Mormon church is a cult. Everyone, but don't like, forget. So the <laughs> way that I saw it, it was like ex Mormons were like, oh, <laughs> like Dis- highly I disappointed. Was, I thought that was. They would at least give me a, a unique name. Poor bastards. I know. I I don't. So they don't ever tell anyone that name, though, right? It's like they it's keep your it secret. Them, name. Yeah, it's your yes. secret name, and it's secret for a reason. Because if you go up to someone, you go, my, they told me that my secret name, my holy name, was Scuba Steve. And wait, and your buddy no, goes, no, I'm Scuba Steve. Wait a minute, <laughs> I'm Scuba Steve. No, no that's uh, not possible. God gave me the unique name, unique name of Scuba Steve. No, and no. and then. Uh, they you, were literally just that fucking lazy. They not lazy, tricky. Tricky. Those guys are sneaky bastards. <laughs> they are. Yeah. You sneaky Mormons, you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Back. Getting back on track. So he's working for this um, divine teacher, Guru Dev, and he took on his new name, Bal Brahmachari Mahesh. Copeland refers to Bala Brahmachari as both a title and a name and considers that it, quote, identified him as a fully dedicated student of spiritual knowledge and lifelong celibate ascetic. Ascetic is who the uh, the Buddha stayed with. That's right. Not Vedic. Not the Vedic. The, the aesthetics. Aesthetics. Yes. Very similar vein. You're though. right. Saraswati insisted that before accepting Mahesh as a pupil, he must first complete his university degree and get permission from his parents. The Maharishi recalls how it took about two and a half years to attune himself to the thinking of the Brahmananda Saraswati and to gain a very genuine feeling of complete oneness. At first, Brahmachari Mahesh performed common chores but gained trust and became Guru Dev's 
personal secretary and favored pupil. He was trusted to take care of the bulk of Guru Dev's correspondence without direction and was also sent out to give public speeches on Vedic themes. The Maharishi said his life truly began in 1940 at the feet of his master when he learned the secret of swift and deep meditation. So we're going to find out basically that what his master, Guru Dev, was teaching him was something that hadn't been taught in a very long time. Transcendental meditation had sort of uh, taken a back seat to some of the other beliefs right. of Hinduism. And so he uh, starts to bring it back. And boy, do people love it. Brahmachari Mahesh remained with Guru Dev until he passed away in 1953. He then moved to Uttarkashi in the Himalayas, where he undertook a reclusive lifestyle for two years. Although Brahmachari Mahesh was a close disciple, he could not be the (laughs) Shankaracharya's spiritual successor because he was not of the Brahmin caste. There it is. There it is. There's the hindrance. The caste system. uh, Religion. And it's, it, I don't like this system at all. I don't think it seems very outdated. I'm sure it's like ingrained and it's part, it's a part of a very big religion. But it's it very seems, part of, yeah, it's very much embedded in their culture and their religion. Yeah. And in the reincarnation system and everything. I guess that's true that it is in re, like you, once you're there, you're there, right? Yeah. It takes a lot to move up through but, these I mean, systems. Yeah. If you are, the human if cast you are seems, born and untouchable, that's pretty fucking shitty that's all you can do human casts are by far the worst cast i think like the spiritual cast probably like i don't know they're probably it can like, be bad sense but or... like you just get shit on as a human like if you don't end up in one of the top tiers yeah oh absolutely mm-hmm. i don't know just brings just makes me think about all other world systems that are fucked and capitalism and how we kind of are living in a caste system here in america if you really want to think about it and you want to think about how the middle class is dying and there's really just the poor are getting poor and the rich are getting richer and soon the disparity will just be unfathomable but yeah you know let's just you know i saw a really <laughs> funny bearded lizard on tiktok the other oh, day oh that's fun he would shake his head at all the oh, other dogs was he sassy he is very sassy oh, that's so fun. bringing a little bit of sunshine back into the story okay yeah <laughs> okay the shankacharya at the end of his life charged the maharishi with the responsibility of traveling and teaching meditation to the masses while he named swami shantanada saraswati as his successor all those days scrubbing the toilet all for naught all for naught he wasn't in the right cast bummer um but that's okay he was determined to bring meditation to the masses yeah he did what he was told an article in bloomberg describes how in 1958 the maharishi went to the madras to address a large crowd of people who had gathered to celebrate the memory of guru dev it was there that he spontaneously announced that he planned to spread the teaching of transcendental meditation throughout the world Hundreds of people immediately asked to learn TM. We'll call it TM. Yeah, that's what everyone else seems to do. They just abbreviate it. It's easier. It is. (laughs) Um, In 1959, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi began his first world tour, writing, quote, I had one thing in mind, that I know something which is useful to every man. This tour began a 30-year journey for the yogi, who traveled far and wide, spreading the teachings he learned from his mentor. So the Maharishi's on the road, and during those early years, he was everywhere. Yeah. He traveled all over the world to places like Greece, Austria, the United States, Canada, Spain, Australia, Singapore, Scotland, and many, many more. Maybe he made North Korea. I don't know. The dude was valid. He's celibate as fuck, and he was jet-setting <laughs> across the world to getting more people involved with the movement. I like celibate as fuck, Yeah. It makes it seem like hardcore. Yeah, he said this. It's, it's, like, it's like a straight edge punk. punk. Yeah, totally. He continued doing this throughout the entire decade of the 60s and made some significant inroads in a lot of the countries, including here in the United States. He actually started coming to the United States in 1959, and I'm sure they were just very welcoming of a strange brown man here in the 50s. Oh, yeah. Open arms. In the same year, he began the International Meditation Society and other organizations to propagate his teachings, establishing centers in San Francisco and London. And this is my favorite part. For years, the sole teacher of transcendental meditation in America was a San Diego woman named Beulah Smith. So Beulah was holding the brains of transcendent, the, the whole movement, the whole movement here in the United States. A woman named Beulah just had it all in the palm of her hand for like a while. I've met a pig named Beulah. <laughs> yeah, it's a pig's name. <laughs> it's a pig's name. I'm oh, sorry, man. Beulah. It is not a great name these days. <laughs> it's pretty low on the list, but um, Beulah, thank you for your service. 
So Beulah's holding it down for a while in San Diego while the Maharishi's still out and about doing stuff. Uh, in 1967, the Maharishi's fame increased and his movement gained greater prominence when he became the spiritual advisor to who else but the Beatles. Though he was already known among young people in the United Kingdom and had numerous public appearances that brought him to the band's attention. So they sought him out knowing him just from what he was doing in London at the time, I, I guess. Now, this was the same time that Mia Farrow had encountered the Maharishi as well, isn't yes, it? Yes, sometime during that time. So, from what I understand, she was actually, like, visiting with the Maharishi when the Beatles showed up. So, she was having, like, she had sought him out, was looking for some, like, mm-hmm. quiet, transcendental meditation moments and uh, learning opportunities, and then the Beatles came, and she, it was like... They just it, kicked her it, out. It, no, they didn't, I don't think they kicked <laughs> her out, but it just no, blew up, can't kick and it was just crazy. Oh, and it was sure. a crazy environment. And then, do we want to talk about Sexy Sadie? Well, we'll, we'll get there in a second. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, following the Beatles' endorsement of Transcendental Meditation or TM, I'm just switching back and forth. I'm so wishy-washy today. During 1967 and 68, the Maharishi appeared on American magazine covers such as Life, Newsweek, Time, and many others. He gave lectures to capacity crowds at the Felt Forum in New York City and Harvard Sanders Hall. He also appeared on The Tonight Show and the Today TV shows. Crazy. So, yeah, he's he's really getting all over the place. His face is everywhere at this yeah. point at time. It seems like the Beatles distanced themselves from him pretty quickly, however, once they found out that he apparently tried to either assault or make sexual advances towards Mia Farrow. Yeah, so not little, great. Not celibate as fuck. No, apparently. it doesn't seem like a little guru drama. So the story that I read, she says that they were like, they're doing some meditative practices, and she said she had two hairy arms come around her front and touch her. Oh, man. And then they were not <laughs> as holy as she as she thought. No, suddenly you realize the guru is just a sweaty old man. Yeah, and that's when the Beatles wrote the song Sexy Sadie, which was initially titled Maharishi. Yes, it was. Uh, they Ringo asked, Ringo begged John Lennon to change it, apparently. Really? Yeah. Ringo's not a fan of, like... He was, he was a little too provocative for was, him, yeah, huh? Yeah, Ringo was passive, aggressive, I guess, and just, he didn't need it directly aimed at Well, if you think about, like, how prominent he was, and how they, how big of a deal it was that the Beatles went to visit with him, and, like, learn from him, it's coming in pretty hot to then name a hateful song, The Maharishi. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that kind of, that would then have blown up the entire movement, I yeah. feel like. And that all happened within the span of a year. It was yeah. like 67. 67 they they yeah. joined him in 68. They had pretty much all left. Uh, I can't help the dude for thinking she was banging because Mia Farrell was hot. She was beautiful. Beautiful. But you got to keep it in your pants, my, my Bro, guru. Bro, your spiritual I was going to say my guy. My guy. I went for my guru. Well done. Yeah. Um, so it's really, though it's not cool if this happened, it's really not cool. Yeah. Did you know she dated Frank Sinatra? No, I didn't. That man was not that great. Really? Yeah. Well, the rumor has it that one of her sons is actually not Woody Allen's son. It's Frank Sinatra's son. And then if you look at the pictures, they look like Bob Anyway, I went down some weird rabbit holes with this story this week. Continue. <laughs> There's a, there, well, this is that same sort of time period where there was a lot going There's on. There's just a lot going yeah, on. There then. were a lot of people mingling and touching and just elbows were bumping all over the place. Yeah, it's just so weird. I don't know. I feel I think of like Mia Farrow in this realm yeah. of like celebrity Hollywood but it wasn't. People. And then I think of Frank Sinatra over here. So just to think of those. The 60s and early 70s, they were, there was a confluence. It really was. Time. It was a lot of just things just running into one bigger thing. Yeah. So there are a ton of different ideas about this. And even the Beatles themselves have seemed to backtrack a little bit towards what happened. Right. Uh, George Harrison played a benefit concert for an organization linked to the Maharishi and told everyone that the allegations were, quote, bullshit. And Paul McCartney actually visited the guru in his old age in 2008, renewing their friendship until the Maharishi's death. Oh. So they kind of came back, and I don't know what happened. Mia Farrow herself is a problematic woman. She has been involved in some weird stories. And obviously she is probably a victim of, a, of abuse as well, but like... I don't know. She, I don't know what there's, there's no There's some problems that have followed her around too, so... Yeah, there's not a lot of evidence for one way or the other. It's right. just b- literally taking this at this word, because now most of these people are dead. Yeah. So we, we might never know. Right. But anywho, in 1968, the Maharishi announced that he would stop his public activities and instead begin training new Transcendental Meditation teachers at his new global headquarters in Silesburg, Switzerland. Hmm. In 1969, he inaugurated a course in his Science of Creative Intelligence at Stanford University, which was then offered at 25 other American universities. So this is something that really is weird to me is that it seems like at this point the Maharishi starts to create like 
all these different organizations. And so it's like, I don't know if it's because people weren't necessarily like collaborating with him on things and or if he was just like, you know what, I'm just going to do this the way that I intended it. And so he starts creating all these different organizations under his umbrella to sort of send out his message in all these different ways. Right. Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird. So, yeah, it's almost like you could see where it would just be a way of like creating like a web or like a network of teachers yeah. to, to spread the message. But also could also be looked at as a little strange that he created so many different programs in so many different places like he's everywhere spreading his, yeah, his oats. i guess that's what he wanted to do was take it to the world right but yeah interesting his spiritual to know. oats hmm. <laughs> in 1970 <God. laughs> in 1970 the maharishi led a tm teacher training course at a victorian hotel in poland springs maine with 1200 participants later that year he said he Later that year, he held a similar four-week course with 1,500 participants at Humboldt State College in Arcata, California. In 1970, after having trouble with Indian tax authorities, he moved his headquarters to Italy, returning to India in the late 1970s. Just really all over the place. Uh, he's starting to bounce like pretty hard. He yeah. starts to just sort of bing-boing all over the world. It, by 1971, the Maharishi had completed 13 world tours. He visited 50 countries and held a press conference with American inventor Buckminster Fuller at his first international symposium on SCI at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst, Massachusetts. From 1970 to 73, about 10,000 people attended the Maharishi's sponsored symposia on his modern interpretation of Vedanta philosophy called Science of Creative Intelligence. During these conferences held at universities, the Maharishi spoke with leading thinkers of the day, such as Hans Selye, Marshall McLuhan, and Jonas Salk. Who oh, could forget any of these modern he, leading thinkers of the day? leaders, yes. I'm so glad he connected with them. Mm-hmm, I totally changed. know about their impact. I didn't look any of them up. No, I haven't either. <laughs> I, I want to know what they're... I am curious about them, but uh, yeah. who knows? Another time. Yeah, another time. The Maharishi announced his world plan in 1972, the goal of which was to establish 3,600 transcendental meditation centers around the world. Wow! That year, a TM training course was that year a TM training course was given by the Maharishi at Queen's University and was attended by a thousand young people from the United States and Canada. At the start of the course, the Maharishi encouraged the attendees to improve their appearance by getting haircuts and wearing ties. Pretty solid advice. He also persuaded the United States Army to offer courses in transcendental meditation to its soldiers. Wow. Yeah, weird. Super and weird. They also made videotape recordings of what was thought to be the West's first comprehensive recitation of the Rig Veda. The Rig Veda is just a collection of Vedic hymns. Yes. By the way. So it's uh, the U.S. Army there for just a minute was almost like, man, maybe... We could like let our hair grow a little longer. I'm just saying it's like 10 years later, not yeah. even 10 years later, where they do the Monroe experiments. Yeah, it's weird. I'm just saying. They, just for like a very short period of time, they were like trying all sorts of different stuff. I'm sure they were just going to weaponize whatever they found. Oh, yeah. But it was, it's like, it's interesting to see like, because you don't hear about that shit anymore, at least not like to this magnitude. I've I don't not think. heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. In March 1973, the Maharishi addressed the legislature of the state of Illinois. That same year, the legislature passed a resolution in support of the use of Maharishi's science of creative intelligence in Illinois' public schools. Wow! Yeah. Later that year, he organized a World Conference of Mayors in Switzerland. Why mayors? Who knows? Why mayors? (laughs) It's just as big as he was getting. Just, yeah, community community leaders, I guess. Maybe it is community leaders. That actually makes sense. Uh, in the same year, he also addressed 3,000 educators at an American Association of Higher Education conference on quality of life and higher education. Dude, I should have been born in the 70s. Why were people so open to this shit back then? I don't feel like. On a I feel lot like. Of drugs. Was this like pre McCarthyism? No, McCarthy had already. Like all That's of the. the 50s. Con- yeah, red all scares of it, happened. It already had happened. But mm-hmm. just the fact that this was in the schools, that's crazy to me. Yeah, it is. People were not as insane. I've had people. <laughs> back then, like, I don't think. Judge the fact that at the preschool that I worked at, we did meditation and yoga with the preschoolers. And I've had people, like, react to that. Yeah. It was just a totally different time, man. I mean, really and truly it was. We it's are in such an age of paranoia and conspiracy now. And, like, nothing like this could ever happen right now. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm jealous. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. It just, um, think, it just seems like um, you, could infl- you, could easily, you could influence people more easily back then. Yeah, is that good or bad? Mm, both. Both, yeah. In 1974, the Maharishi 
International University was founded. So in 1974, he created his own college. Here we go. In 70, in October 1975, <laughs> the Maharishi was pictured in, on the front cover of Time magazine. Wow. He made his last visit to the Spiritual Regeneration Movement Center in Los Angeles in 1975, according to film director David Lynch, who met him for the first time there. Apparently, yeah, they were pretty tight. David Lynch was tight with Maharishi. I could see that. I could, too. Yeah, I fucking love David Lynch. Me, too. This bring honestly, back Twin Peaks. Honestly, I need more Twin Peaks, David Lynch. Honestly, if you're listening, bring back Twin Peaks. Yes, please. Uh, David Lynch's involvement of in Transcendental Meditation gave it more credibility to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I probably shouldn't operate that way, but I was like, oh, David Lynch. Oh, it's fine. He's just, it's fine. We love David Lynch. I trust everything now. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I mean, really. That's where my brain went. He made that really great detective monkey He just made show. that really great. Mini, it was. It's not mini, a show. It's, no, it's a, a mini movie. Mini movie. What do you call those? A short. Short film. Yes. Yes. Jesus. God. What is <laughs> words? But yeah. Anyway. David Lynch. David Lynch. Lynch. <laughs> David Lynch. Yeah. So the Maharishi is reported during all this time to have trained more than 40,000 Transcendental Meditation teachers, taught the technique to more than 5 million people, and founded thousands of teaching centers in hundreds of colleges, universities, and schools. He was while hustling. He really was. While TM websites report tens of thousands learned the TMCD program. His initiatives include schools and universities with campuses in several countries, including India, Canada, the United States, the United Kingdom, and Switzerland. The Maharishi, his family, and close associates created charitable organizations and for-profit businesses, including health clinics, mail-order health supplements, and organic farms. The reported value of the Maharishi's organization has ranged from millions to billions of U.S. dollars. In 2008, the organization placed their value of United States assets at about $300 million. That's just the United States. That's insane. That's all. They are sitting on a pile of gold. Yeah. And... This is like then you start to see then like goes, there's some weird goes, huh, Yeah, maybe it's not as like money. uh maybe it's not all about the spirituality like we were thinking initially, right? Right. And there's at some point it just seemed to have took taken a turn. It, right. I don't That's know. That's a lot was, of money for a um It is. for a religion. It is. Um and then you start to think like was he doing it for the religion and for the organization or was he doing it or something else. Right. I don't know. It is weird, though. It's a lot It's a lot of fucking money. It's a lot of money. Yeah. That's just in the U.S. The Maharishi's natural law party was he founded a political party. He did do that. Yeah. The wow. Ma yeah. Uh, he, it was called the Natural Law Party. It was founded in 1992, and it ran campaigns in dozens of countries. I don't know how well it did. Probably not so good here. He moved near Vlodrup in the Netherlands in the same year. In 2000, he created the Global Country of World Peace, a nonprofit organization, and appointed its leaders. In 2008, the Maharishi announced his retirement from all administrative activities and went into silence until his death three weeks later. Wow. So, yeah, he just went into a meditative state, I would imagine. That's very interesting. It is. The dude was, and this is, this man is, was very, it was very cool to read about him because yes. he was, he did so much. He did so, what a life. Really, Seriously. really what a life. He lived an incredible life. There's just so much more we could say about him, but there's just literally a fuck ton of stuff this guy did. He did so much. We didn't really squeeze in some of the stuff he did in the 90s and 2000s, but I did want to mention that he called Washington, D.C. a pool of mud. Yeah. And <laughs> I love that. And one of the Maharishi's organizations built the largest wooden structure in the Netherlands without using any nails. Super wow. cool. And it's actually the place where he died. Um, he spent the last two decades of his life in this giant nailless building. Interesting. It really Do you know why nice. he called Washington, D.C. a pool of mud? No. Because he had tried to organize um, like mass meditation movements in Washington, D.C. So the one of the thought processes behind Transcendental Meditation is that if you get a large group of people meditating together on one thing all at once, you can influence like the world. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So they actually did. They did an experiment in Washington, D.C. It was in the late 60s um, during the summer. And they were trying to get crime rates down in Washington, D.C. Um, and they had, I believe, over a thousand people. Yeah. Maybe more like 700, but a, like several hundred people gathering in Washington, D.C. and meditating. And for one month, the crime rate dropped. 20, did it really? 23 percent. Oh, my God. 23 percent but they continued and they were unable to get it to do anything else and it, the crime rate went back up uh, and after several t attempts at this uh experiment 
um, he called Washington, D.C., a pool of mud and said basically that it's it, your it's, fault it's, it's not our fault he it's was like, your yeah fault. he was like there's no way he was just like there's too much shit this place is gross it's, it's literally hot. garbage I'm sick of being here yeah. we're meditating somewhere else we're going to iowa we're going, going to iowa. iowa that's literally like it was not long after that that they they decided to go to iowa yeah it wasn't but doesn't it sound nice though meditating in a giant nailless piece of wood staring at the windmills and the tulips of the netherlands so nice. Meanwhile, I'm here making pasta for dinner for the eighth time in a row. <laughs> Does that somehow embody the ideas of transcendental meditation more than the Maharashi? You can be the judge of that, listener. Oh, interesting. Mm. You mean mm. like we're we're really like doing it? Yeah, we're. We doing don't it. have three hundred million dollars. Doing it. We're doing life. <laughs> we're 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 having to do life. We don't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> but we're more we're more humble because of our experience. Yeah. You guys right? like I said, you can be the judge. <laughs> By the way, I did the math. So like let's say approximately if they have three hundred million dollars, and let's say it was it took approximately forty years to build this movement, right? Give or take, because some of it did start in the seventies, but let's say let's say it was the eighties before they really took off. Yeah. In 40 years, um, they would have earned $7.5 million, $7. million a year in order to acquire $300 million. That's a lot of money. Yeah. It's a lot of uh, yogic flying, which we're going to talk about yeah. soon. Yeah. Uh-huh. So we <laughs> did- Lots of coursework being bought. <laughs> yes. So we did end at that point for a reason. The Maharishi was opening up these centers all over the world, and eventually word spread to a group of real estate developers and a few other people in the United States. Apparently, what this guy was selling really stuck with some of these people because more than a dozen developers purchased 50 farms totaling 3,000 acres, some 1,200 of which were designed for a town. Together, they planned a city arranged in 10 circles totaling about one square mile, along with paved roads, utilities, sewage, and internet. They then began the first phase of construction, which included two hotels, various houses, and office buildings. After one year, 46 structures had been built and more than $35 million spent on development. Financial and infrastructure needs led the developers to seek formal designation as a city from Iowa. And after petitioning the Iowa City Development Board and holding a referendum, it was incorporated as Iowa's newest city on July 21st, 2001. The first new city in Iowa since 1982, and it's still the newest city. Wow. Uh-huh. That's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, man, they tried to make it happen in D.C. Maharashi said, we got to get out of this pool of mud. We're going west. And here they are, landed in uh, Fairfield, Iowa in 2001. Yeah. Wild. With all their money. With $35 million. Just I want to know, I, and I never found a lot of information about the developers. I don't know who got them involved in it. Like, and then you think, like, maybe he's a little shady, and maybe some people representing the Maharishi came over and was like, hey, listen, we got a fuck ton of money. Yeah. You want to make a little fucking money? Come over here. Let's build some circles. I mean, if you look at the buildings, yes, the gold domes, that that those look expensive. But the other Vedic buildings, they, they look like pretty like almost like modular homes but with like slightly different like win- like different shaped windows and yes. then some of the um the gold domes on the top like yep. the, the the what would you call that it's like um, an orna- artif- ornamental thing artifice. i'm sure it means something to them but i don't know what it's called right um and we're actually going to talk about that in a great but yeah so like 35 mil who i mean i guess that's how much it takes to build a city that's a lot of cash. I mean, from the fucking nothing? Yeah, but, probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got to bring in a bunch of stuff so people can live, I guess. Yeah. Out here in the middle of fucking Iowa. Yeah. So planners expected the city to have a population of over 1,000 by 2010, and they were actually right. It was slightly over 1,000, I think, by 2010. I, th- I think that, or maybe 2008. I don't remember. Gotcha. But many of them were transplants from the nearby town of Fairfield. So this whole area is south of Fairfield. In the early stages of development, Vedic City, as it's known, set aside 50 acres as land for conservation and preservation. This acreage was then transformed from farmers' fields to native prairies, wetlands, and forests. Kind of cool. The town itself is still growing. There's all sorts of laws pertaining to just them, like the one that only allows organic food to be sold within the town limits. Uh-huh. They have a separate president of the United they States. They do. And uh, she is killing it. She did a great job from whatever home she's living in down there. And what do you do is you when you wake up as the 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 Vedic city president of the United States. You wake up and you survey your land yeah, and you wonder around. Yeah, I think you go and you, like, and you walk you and wave. wave. What power do you hold, I wonder? And then there's, if you let I me mean, any picture I saw of her, she was meditating. 
Yeah, that's all she does, probably. So, I think there's just I'm a lot sure of that. she has some responsibilities. I'm sure she's a cool woman. The weight of an entire city is on her shoulders. It's just interesting to know <laughs> that a city in Iowa does not recognize our government system and has their own recognized president. Like, yeah. That's just interesting. It is. It's super weird. And so, this town has been, people have been moving here since they started developing it. This isn't like before 2001, there were already people there. Oh, yeah. And they've, like, they've always, always right, caught a little weird flack. Yeah, they've always caught a little weird flack from like Fairfield and like all the, the, the townies. Townies, yeah, the, the yuppies living out there. And so, this is still happening though, somehow. I don't know. Oh, they, they also sell a lot of what they grow to Whole Foods, apparently. Didn't know that until I learned this. So Whole Foods is getting a lot of their food from this group of people. Whoa! Yeah, I want to know what. Yeah. I bet it's their fucking uh, t- t- corn. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it's it's corn. probably just it's the corn. It's probably the corn. Uh, it's a, I have so many <laughs> corn jokes. I lied to all of you if you haven't you noticed lied. yet. There's a lot of corn jokes. <laughs> Got gotcha. em. You're in um, now, though. you got to well, learn to rest. We're getting a Whole Foods this year, so we'll, we'll have to look for the Vedic City food. I'll go there. I need the truth! Give me the Vedic food! <laughs> so all the buildings in town, and, and like we talked about, they adhere to a style based on Maharishi Thapatya Veda, which is said to be an ancient system of, of, of architecture and design, revived by Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. You can hop on Google and quickly get a feel for what that means. Uh, they're all sort of similar houses. The design style has strict rules governing the orientation and proportions of a building. The most important factor is the entrance, which must be either due east or due north. Yeah, it reminded me of um, feng shui. Yeah, very much so. The uh, The MVA architect also considers the slope and shape of the lot, exposure to the rising sun, location of nearby bodies of water, and other buildings or activities in the nearby environment. MVA, by the way, is just a style of architecture. MVA emphasizes the use of natural or green building materials, and that's pretty much it. I'm sure there's a lot more, but that's what I was able to find without like opening up a book about it. People in the town also meditate twice a day. Yes, they do. Twice they a day. That's, to that's the something gold that they do. They meditate twice a day. And we haven't mentioned the gold domes, but there are these. I had gold... mentioned them, but oh, we, well, we got to. We haven't, yeah. We haven't talked about the gold domes in detail. Right. But there are these large gold domes. Just sort yes. of in and around They're the town. There's designated a, meditation spaces, one yeah. for male and one for female. Slathered in gold, giant wooden beams on the inside. Um, any other fellow Oprah fans out there, um, she actually got a private tour of the Golden Domes. Uh, she did a whole special on the, the Vedic City in Iowa and even bought the courses for her staff. Oh, my just, God. Just a little. I mean, so if you want to get that inside I scoop, you that. can watch Oprah tour the Vedic City. I am of the camp that maybe Oprah is also a cult. Yeah. <laughs> Her relationship with spirituality month, you know? is very interesting. She's very into manifestation, and she's also super into transcendental meditation. A lot of big celebrities are super into yeah. TM. Yeah. So it's just an interesting, it's kind of a, a fine line. Um, it's almost like Scientology with all the weird screaming exactly and what it is. the beating that's, down of the soul and that's stuff. That's exactly what this shit is. This is a more spiritual Scientology. It's kind of what it seems like. And, yeah. Uh, so, and less, like, and in, in, at times, less restrictive. Yeah. Yes. All in all, this place does seem kind of unique, though, right? You, you guys are probably starting to get a feel for what's going on. And if you're thinking that this sure seems like kind of a cult-like atmosphere, then we'd say you might have hit the nail on the head. So, let's talk about the people living here and what exactly seems to be going on in the community these days. It seems like the town has been emanating a strange aura since its conception, and to convey what seems to be happening, we're going to take a look at stories from two different individuals who grew up inside the community. Specifically, we're looking at Claire Hoffman, her classmates, and Susan Shumsky. Claire's mother was a follower of the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, and Hoffman spent most of her childhood in the Fairfield community. Hoffman grew up with fellow guru kids Benjamin Myers, a.k.a. Sergio, of the dance music duo Benoit and Sergio, and Eli Lieb, now an L.A.-based singer-songwriter. I love that they, we pulled this from some article, I don't remember what, but I don't know <laughs> anything about Benoit and Sergio. Is it long-haired Sergio? No. I don't know. Uh, I I read I got this information from an NPR article. Yeah, and it did go on to talk about how Myers and Lee are still performers and they're they're doing pretty well. So hmm. I'm not familiar with them, but they were accredited in the article. The old heads will know. Yes, tell us your knowledge. 
Meyer says of moving to Fairfield in seventh grade, quote, I was really bummed out to leave California for the wasteland of Iowa. Specifically, it seemed to be a place full of vegetarians in flowing yoga attire with big dreams of world peace through meditation. But I always found the community strange and fascinating, even when I found it, at times, frustrating. Lieb's affection for the Fairfield way of life predated his family's move. He recalls attending Maharishi's events in his native Washington, D.C. Quote, He would be sitting there and I would run down and give him a rose. Lieb's parents relocated the family to Fairfield to be a part of the colony. Quote, it was a super supportive community, says Lieb, and everybody was your friend. I'm sure that felt like pretty life-changing to go give someone that, that left, that emanated that spirituality to be able to go approach them and hand them a flower or something oh, like I'm that. Oh, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure that that was like... Life-changing moment. Yeah. Absolutely. And then And then to go... From Washington, D.C. to this community that is, it's all vegetarian, it's all organic. Like, it's there different. are moments yeah. when you're joining a group, a community like that, where I'm sure it feels really refreshing and good. Oh, definitely. In Fairfield, children went to public schools or to the private Maharishi School of the Age of Enlightenment, or MSAE. Guess what? That one costs a lot of money. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of money. The school's website boasts that with an MSAE education, quote, students develop 200% of life, 100% inner development with 100% outer success. Okay. <laughs> All right. Whenever we start to make broad statements, like big, bold statements like that, I, 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 the red flags start to go up for uh-huh. me. 200% of life. Like, uh, okay. Leaps. Marketing was so easy back then. It really was. <laughs> you could just say whatever you wanted. Oh, my God. Uh, Leap says that most of the curriculum was typical with a few exceptions. We would read from the Bhagavad Gita in Sanskrit. Of course, meditation took place at the start and close of every school day. Hoffman notes that the, those meditations were graded. Eh, um, yeah. How do you grade a meditation? Oh, that doesn't sound pretty. That doesn't sound... Right, That's not me. very Buddha of you. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it tracks. You also took classes on Vedic science, says Myers, where you learn Eastern philosophical precepts. Teachers allowed the young students to lie down and take a nap whenever they wished, Hoffman says. Those early years were just an enta- enchanted kingdom. We believed that we were changing the world, and it felt amazing. But as the TM kids grew up, some of them began to discover that Fairfield was not all bliss and good vibes. In the 1980s and 90s, there was an ongoing conflict between townies and gurus, that is, the born and bred Iowans and the new age newcomers. In a city of almost 10,000 people, townies outnumbered gurus roughly four to one. Myers says, townie kids tended to be tough and big and somewhat intimidating, raised on beef and farm labor and corn, probably. Yeah, a lot of corn. Guru kids tended to be raised on rice and dal. Not a good combination uh, <laughs> for a lot of reasons. I couldn't imagine having to go to public school from this community. It's seen all like your friends who are going out and they're meditating and like that's what you're basically bred to do at this point, and you're just getting fed dirt by like a severely overweight public school redneck kid oh yeah just going getting, to Chili's uh, every weekend yeah you, i'm going to Chili's tonight where are you going little raj <laughs> <laughs> gonna eat more doll raj <laughs> <laughs> it had to be rough it had to be really hard I'm i sure sympathize with that, that with the public school major culture the clash. public school vedic kids yeah. i sympathize with you so much yeah bless your little hearts <laughs> hoffman lived in both worlds when her mother couldn't afford to send her to MSAE for high school, Hoffman was enrolled in the public school system. Quote, I would get thrown against lockers. People would scream shit in my face. They would spit at me, she says. But Myers and Lieb say that around the time they were in high school, tensions between the townies and gurus had begun to ease. Quote, we were part of each other's lives from the beginning of them, says Myers. The townies were our jock brothers and the gurus, their weird younger art school sisters. I wonder if they had a different experience because they were men. I don't know. Versus versus Claire being it's a female. It's very true. I don't know that we don't know the age gap or anything like that. I will say that something like that happened where I grew up as well. It was like uh, my town was around the Appalachian Trail. Right. Um and it was very dangerous for women, uh but it was also dangerous for anyone who wasn't really 
from that area, but it seems, especially now, like as I grew up, this seems like the attitude change, and everyone just started to say, "Fuck it, we we're all going to get along like, as much one as another. we can while we're we're stuck with each other." Right. And so you start to see like weed get passed around and traded with moonshine from the yokels, you know, and it became like that's a pretty cool vibe, if you ask me. Yeah, I would I would imagine that there's some of that here, but I would also imagine that because of the extremes of the the Vita community and the rural Fairfield community. Um, I could see where the clashes could get pretty rough too. Like I could see where they could get along fine, and I could also see where it would just be like really shitty. Yeah, I'm sure it was hard for a lot of yeah. kids. I'm sure Lieb. both ends of the spectrum were experienced. Yeah. But if Lieb got out of it, okay. Someone named Lieb. Maybe everyone <laughs> was alright. Lieb was right. his last name. Oh yeah, you're right. Sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> his first name was Eli. Okay. For all its talk of living less materialistically and more spiritually, the Fairfield Transcendental Meditation Community lifestyle was a financial strain on some of its members. From the entry fees to something called the Utopia Conference to tuition for the private MSAE school to real estate, the price of enlightenment was steep. Quote, you don't have to live in a Vedic house if you live in Fairfield, says Leap, who previously lived in one. Everything is your own choice. However, Hoffman, who was raised by a single mother, recalls, quote, I grew up in a trailer park in Fairfield. The price of everything, school, going to the Golden Dome, the Ayurveda, the Ayurveda treatments, it was alienating for us as a family. It didn't feel very good to not be able to afford enlightenment. That's a shitty fucking sad statement. Because it really a lot is. of a lot of stuff like this, it comes with money. Yeah. And what can you do when you're impoverished? It's exactly. hard to, to become uh, to feel good in this uh, in a spiritual sense. Right. And so that's that's really sad. And, you know, watching the Oprah video, the one of the yeah. sp- one of the sponsors, she said or yeah, one of the women that she spoke with said that there were there were scholarships programs or like you could work uh-huh. for them in order to like gain the membership. But that in itself creates a hierarchy. Yeah, and it does. And it just doesn't seem to align with a lot of what they're preaching. And so that's where it just starts to feel like it's exclusive yeah poor, very much so. poor people can't get enlightenment like that's fucked up <laughs> yeah that creates a lot of resentment and that's the main trend you come across when reading about the transcendental meditation movement particularly the one in fairfield iowa members will have their finances drained while trying to attain enlightenment do you have an ailment that you're seeking treatment for for only 595 dollars a day for 5 to 21 days what raj spa on campus will treat you what <laughs> No. Yeah. I can't afford regular health care. $600 a day for a minimum of five days, but like the program could go for 21 days. It's always going to go for, for 21 days. For, <laughs> it's always good. You got to keep getting healed, man. Sorry. And that's for cancer patients, fibroids. If you have um, an eating disorder, if you have, there's a list. If, if you have a disorder that you need help with, they can heal you. But for the low, low price of $600 a day for a minimum of five days. It's like a celebrity rehab clinic. Exactly. I don't know, man. It just all seems a bit steep for an anti-materialism group like the Maharishi TM in Fairfield, Iowa. Maharishi, the yogi whose teaching, who's teachings inspired Claire's mother, specialized in yogic flying. We're bringing it back. We talked about it a minute talked, ago. You're going to know what it is that now. That callback. Get ready back. because, boy, is it cool. So yoga flying is a practice that he claimed would infuse practitioners with the power to levitate. And he charged Hoffman's mother and other devotees thousands of dollars to learn it. I think that's when you know you're in a scam. Yeah. You're like the organic food, fine. The house right. is fine. The spa is fine. But then someone's like, I will teach you to levitate. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just like, For thousands of dollars. Know. This seems a little out there. At some point, it's like, I don't know. I'm I'm a skeptic most of the time. I want to believe, right? I'd like to think I'm pretty logical. I would be cool with it up until this point, and I think I would have to leave. This is when it gets, <laughs> this is when you go, oh. Yeah. Ooh, that, that doesn't feel good. That feels a little cringy. Am I a clown? Are we clowns? And yoga <laughs> flying is referred to all over the place when talking about this Vedic city, when talking about the Maharishi. Like, yoga yeah. flying comes up again and again. Basic yogic flying was practiced in secret. Hoffman believed for years that her mother could, in fact, fly. So her mother, remember, they lived and grew up in a trailer park, spent thousands of dollars, and was actually a yogic flying teacher. When Claire was 9 or 10, she attended a demonstration of the practice, and she was 
crushed. This is so. This the, uh, she had a terrible, she terrible life. She had a bad experience. This here. was awful. So Emily, tell us what she says. So Hoffman is. says, "Quote: It was this sort of funny frog hop that they were doing <laughs> across the room." Hop, hop. For me, that moment of seeing this sort of awkward, ugly jumping as opposed to this incredible levitation that I had as a kid, that I as a kid had imagined was a first moment for me of doubt. So I've looked a little more into it. Essentially, you are, it's cross-legged hopping. Oh, it's it's like something you do in like elementary school gym class. So this nine or 10 year old who's been like, raised in this movement who who was taught that meditation was her form of like entering her own world like she believed she believed in everything they were doing and her mother was could fly like that must have felt so powerful and then to walk into that room and see them hopping i i almost cried like reading that part for her like that must have been fucking devastating yeah definitely not a great story for Claire. No. So now. Now we're going to move on to Susan. Yeah. Susan loved transcendental meditation. Through TM, she experienced something previously unfamiliar and unknown. The true felicity of inner peace. The entire 22 years that she practiced TM, her meditation experiences were nothing but uplifting and blissful. She also loved Maharishi and became entranced by his highly charismatic aura and hypnotic personality. So for six years, she ended up on his personal staff in Europe as a rare insider, part of his inner circle. All right, we're getting the real scoop now. We're getting that inside scoop. While on staff, Susan endured an incredibly intense emotional roller coaster, ranging from heaven to hell. Administering a kind of open ego surgery, Maharishi would alternately make her feel like the most important person in the universe, saving the planet, or the most despicable useless worthless worm those are her words all right so maybe this is a little bit more like scientology than i thought yeah just as a military drill instructor uses tough love to train his recruits so maharishi dispensed severe treatment to his closest disciples in the worst instance he chastised susan harshly before 400 of the transcendental meditation organization leaders this is where really you start to see, I mean, everything's already leading up to cult, right? But once the abuse begins, that's when the cult really seems to take off. Because yeah. that's, you start to, not take off, but like really show itself. Yes, exactly. Um, because at that point, you are literally demeaning these people. You're crushing them so they don't, they feel like they don't have anywhere else to turn because mm-hmm. they are useless and they do feel bad. And then you give them praise and so you, then you create an attachment. Exactly. And so that's literally like part of the the cult leader's handbook. That's a step. Any in, form of abuse. Yeah. Yeah. It is. So this is definitely starting to feel, you know, you start off with a, like, oh, on the fence. Yeah. You start off on the fence and very slowly and then eventually you just sort of tip over to the side of the like just tip over maybe me. not as great as and it's I a was bummer thinking. it's a fucking bummer honestly tm seems like it could be really cool yeah and there's all these these big people that are a part of a part of it and they've all like started from nothing and made themselves into something and it's like the american dream and david fucking lynch and oprah practice <laughs> transcendental meditation and if you did what would your life be like well could be this. <laughs> Ooh, it could have been this. Anyway, so Susan thinks the first seeds of TM's cult-like characteristics emerged in August 1979 in Amherst, Massachusetts, where Maharishi gathered 2,600 meditators for a world peace assembly. There, the Maharishi made the fantastic claim that the goddess Mother Divine had told him that crime, war, and um, environmental toxins had polluted the earth. Which, I mean... He's not wrong. He's not wrong. But I don't think you needed a god to tell you that. Maharishi's world plan to create global peace wasn't working fast enough, and therefore the goddess was threatening to annihilate the entire Earth's population. After Maharishi pleaded with her, she purportedly agreed to give him one last chance. Oh, good. So the world's Wonderful. fate was in his hands. He had he had argued, and she gifted us one last chance in the form of the Maharishi. Maharishi then declared that time had run out and there was a world emergency. Everyone was told to pack their bags, relocate their families to Iowa within one week, and meditate together in order to prevent certain global annihilation. 
So, about 1,000 followers moved to Maharishi International University in Fairfield, Iowa, where the cult gradually took over their lives as they squandered their fortunes on various increasingly expensive TM courses and products. So, like, that's... That's a, We're in a weird now. way to build a community. It worked, though. It, it works. Worked. Fear does a crazy thing to people. Yeah. And uh, he was, at this point, I think he was well-versed in his wording and ha- what he was doing to get people over there anyway. I think you're right. Yeah, these people are, they're, a cult leader is suave. They are debonair. Yes. They know how to get someone's attention and have someone latch onto them. Right. I mean, if you heard, if you were embedded in this movement and now your leader says to you, we must gather to prevent the end of the world. And you're, I mean, I imagine these people are pretty empathetic people, right? Like you're, you're practicing Buddhism every day. Yeah. Like your heart now is broken for the world around you. You are called, you know, like I, I just can totally see where I, why these people would have hopped in the car and driven across the country. Every telephone broadcast for Maharishi terrorized members into believing that if they didn't adhere to this program, they would be responsible for nuclear holocaust or the end of the world. His manipulative fear and intimidation tactics proved extremely effective motivators. The followers blindly adhered to Maharishi's ironclad belief structure and rigid routine. His stifling rules determined what to eat, what to wear, where to live, what to believe, what to say, what to read and not read, what activities were acceptable, even their house's architecture, which we talked about earlier. As the cult expanded, so did the followers' cliquish, elitist attitude. If you towed the line, you were on the program. If you wavered, you were off the program and branded as outcasts, shunned from the community, and could no longer enter the Golden Domes or take future TM courses. Susan stated the following about her experience. Quote, we lived in Fearfield, not Fairfield. Oh, oh, yeah, a lot of elbow jabs yeah. under their breath back uh-huh. then with that name. Fairfield. Under extreme fear of the leaders policing the organization. Since we believed TM was the only path to enlightenment and Maharishi was the only true spiritual master, we lived in terror of banishment from TM's presumptive heavenly paradise. Our only chance for spiritual enlightenment would vanish and we would be lost unless we jumped through the various hoops to prove our worthiness. So, yeah, if you were in it, you couldn't get out of it. No, it's a cult now. It's a cult. It's, it is now, cult. We were bouncing around the idea. but We were, boy, like, tiptoeing around yeah, it. Yeah, we made you think this was going to be a fun episode <laughs> about, a, about a, just a silly guru, but no, this man was mean. Yeah, not the best. Yeah. The only thing he didn't really do in terms of the cult handbook is fuck a bunch of women I who were say, married. I will say, and also, one of the things that I saw – one of the followers said that it, and I, we're going to go back and forth on all this, right? But um, they said that it, ne- it wasn't necessarily the Maharishi's fault. He came and built the city and gave them these concepts, but then he left and he continued to travel around the world. He wasn't living in Fairfield, Iowa this whole time. He was giving them these phone calls and saying that they needed to like prevent the end of the world. <laughs> but additionally, there were other leaders involved that then were in, like enforcing. I mean, that's just what happens in any cult too, right? But it's just kind of interesting to think about like he he did build it and then like Yeah, he just, he just maintained like, control from this Switzerland. Looks wonderful. Yeah. All right, it's time to go. Bye. Time to hit the open the dusty trail. Good luck. I got more cities to build yeah. and then watch slowly erode into nothingness. Right. As the ungodly repression became increasingly overbearing, the MIU library purged all, quote, negative books and non-TM self-help books, including books on yoga, meditation, new age teachings, and those authored by Indian gurus. So now they're clearing out any information from their schoolings that isn't theirs. Followers were forbidden to visit any spiritual masters, to take classes on any subject not officially sanctioned by the TM organization, or to even take a vacation to India. It's not great. It's not a good look for them. And uh, I think the reason uh, they took a lot of the Indian guru books out is because a lot of the gurus were like, the Maharishi is doing some bad stuff. Exactly. they, They were starting to, I don't know if they had been, or we're starting to, they were starting to basically speak out against the, the whole TM movement and be like, this is not really adhering to a lot of the practices that we are supposed to be adhering to. Right. And I think they just wanted to go ahead and just nip that in the bud exactly. down there in Iowa and get rid of those books. At MIU and MSAE, the Maharishi School for Age of Enlightenment and the university, teachers reprimanded students for expressing original opinions. Kids who drew negative images, such as monsters, or wrote, quote, negative stories, were taken to task. 
entertaining negativity was, quote, off the program. Students with drug, alcohol, or other addiction problems were not given counseling or advised to attend AA meetings. Instead, they were blamed for not meditating properly. Susan began to realize she had spent over two decades in a dictatorial, repressive organization, largely motivated by fear. And in 1986, she took her first baby steps towards freedom when she started a prayer circle at her home. After said prayer circle, Transcendental Meditation Spies made a list of license plates of cars parked nearby and stripped the Golden Dome badges from Susan's prayer circle attendees and blacklisted them. It's crazy. They had spies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They had Once TM again, spies. Not very Buddha of you. No. And it was a prayer circle. <laughs> it was a freaking prayer circle. But she hosted it on her own. It and she wasn't a leader. Circle. It wasn't theirs. So... They blacklisted everyone, and after that, nearly everyone in Fairfield avoided eye contact with her. Branded persona non grata, she came to realize that she would have to sell her house and leave Fairfield. Susan says, quote, Though it was painful to cut cords with Maharishi and all my friends, leaving Fairfield in 1989 was the best decision I ever made. I found my way to greater awareness and self-sufficiency, I, and I never looked back. Good for her. I'm glad she got out. I, you know, I'm curious, thinking about looking through these stories, I wonder if there was, like, they got, he sent a thousand people there. At some point, the population probably doubled. Right. And then they all left, right? I mean, I wonder, like, what the population fluctuation has been over the years. Oh, yeah. And it's really interesting. This was all happening before they were an incorporated city. Yeah. So, like. Nothing was even happening yet. I know. Now they've got a road sign. That's just, like, how they started. (laughs) People are just coming here now. So, yeah, definitely interesting to think about, like, the ensuing history yeah it is so this is kind of what life is like inside this community which on the surface seems kind of tame when you start to look into it though the practices that are taking place seem to be a lot less about enlightenment and a lot more about money these days i don't know if it's always been this way but as we saw in the last couple episodes on satanic panic it's very very easy to convince a group of people something when they're simply looking for any answer at all yeah Another thing that I can't seem to find a ton of information on, and this seems very scary to me and Mm. creepy. Another thing that I can't seem to find a ton of information on and are very creepy to me are the extremely secret pandit communities in the town, or compounds, I guess I should say. Right. Yeah. I forgot about this. These are real. This is from Atlas Obscura. Uh, On the edge of town is a compound where hundreds of pandits or a Hindu religious scholar or wise man live segregated from the rest of the village. They are brought in from India to help reach a spiritual quota. Remember how we talked about Maharishi wanted a certain amount of people to be meditating, right? Right. According to ancient tradition, a certain number of meditators are needed to generate a ripple effect of peace and cohesion across the country. And so that's what these people are doing in these pandit compounds. These are fenced off. No one is allowed uh, in. I think they, they let they come out and do certain things right. in, like the university and stuff, but nobody's allowed inside yeah. that compound. Super fucking weird. So they just have secret compounds yeah. of Indian meditators. Yes. And I don't know how what? I don't know how valid it is, but I did run across a very old HTML style website. It was called Cult News, and I'm gonna post oh. it. We didn't really use it as I guess we're using it, so it is reference. Yeah. Uh it's they had stories about trying to get into one of the compounds. They drove up to it, there's a parking lot, and some a security guard came out and was like, You can't go any further. He asked to take pictures, and he was like, yeah, you can take pictures from right there. And so he wasn't allowed to leave the parking lot, but he took photos from that single area that he was allowed to, and he's got just, like, some pictures of, like, these Indian men on the other side of the fence. It's very, like very strange. Like, fenced off from the community. Very strange. Weird. So I just, let me in. I want to know what's happening. <laughs> so bad. Super creepy. That is happening in this in, in the middle of Iowa. Wow. So, but there you have it. That's the Maharashi Vedic Temple. There it is in all its glory. It all in all, this is a strange town in the middle of boring old Iowa that adds a very real air of mystery to the state. Yeah. The state <laughs> to be fair, Iowa didn't have a lot going for it now, in the first place. Now they do, I but guess. But now they do. Yeah, to, since 2001. Uh, the town <laughs> seems to have done a really good job at keeping whatever is going on in there a secret, like the real stuff. If yeah. anything really is going on in there at all, it's a str- honestly. I, I was thinking about this. It's very. It's a strange idea to us as normal Americans. We're not really that uh, quote normal American. I don't think, but like we're still we're not used to stuff like that. We're just constantly in between trips to McDonald's, all of us. So <laughs> maybe nothing in there is happening at all, and we just can't wrap our heads around yogic flying. Right. On the other hand, the compound full of praying holy men really suggests another side to whatever is happening here. Yeah. And I'm definitely, after doing the research, I'm leaning more in that direction. Those right. people might think it's normal, but I don't know if anyone else does. Yeah. 
so it's very like go look at these pictures i'm gonna post them in our discord join our discord and check them out the, there's only like one or two but it's an old html weird website the guy so seemed very strange. very intense he went there after uh oprah did oh gotcha like, yeah. i'm going in now it's my turn <laughs> yeah, if oprah exactly. could do it i could do it exactly and you know not only that it's also the exorbitant amounts of money being pumped into the community so and much money this is kind of where we're going to leave it because there is a lot of a lot of weird money dark money maybe i don't know but as of 2004 more than 200 million dollars of venture capital had been invested in fairfield and vedic city companies during the last 13 years wow. so there was a lot of money going in a lot of apparently oppression very, very, very. It, it's it. It is a cult. I, I'm convinced. Dude, I'm I going mean, to go ahead. I'm signing my name on the yeah. docket of cult because I don't want to leave this with the going. I don't know what it is. We need a stamp sound effect. Yeah, stamp, I'd like to wait, know more. On, wait, it's a cult. It's a cult. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Thank you. <laughs> so who knows what's going on over there? I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that they're all fucking. That's what's oh, happening. so not celibate as fuck. No, Nobody they're all fucking. Nobody's celibate. They're, it's just a giant orgy in the gold yogic, dome. A lot of yogic scissoring. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's the episode. That's it. That's the Vedic City, everyone. Hop in our Discord and tell us what you think. Yeah. I'll throw up that Oprah video in there, too. But, yeah, just the more I looked into it, I, like, I had had somebody mention this to me in passing, and then I looked into it, and the more I looked into it, like, the bigger the story got. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I would just love to know y'all's opinion. What do you guys think about it? I do. Definitely go check out some of the links that are in our Discord, which you can find on our Instagram and our Twitter. We post stuff on there as well, so be sure to follow us on those platforms. You can click the link on there. It will lead you to the Discord, which is, once again, totally free. You sign up. You can find our source links that we post. Scary stories. I'm posting more of those because, boy, I fucking love scary stories. And just all sorts of stuff. And we're on there a lot just hanging out and waiting to chat. So please come join us. That's right. You can also find us on Facebook at the LRH Pod, and you can reach us via email at the LRH Show at gmail.com. And if you want to contribute to the podcast, you can join us at patreon.com slash the LRH Podcast. There's three tiers on there. You get a little sticker if you join, and the higher tiers get some extra stuff as well, and uh, acknowledgement in the Discord and all sorts of fun stuff. And we're going to continue as the community grows to build stuff for our patrons. So thank our current patrons very much for continuing Yay. to support us. We love you all very much. Um, thank you. We love you. Yeah, thanks. And that's it, everybody. We'll be back on Monday with our next mini-sode, and we're back to our regular schedule now. So Back to our regular scheduled programming. Yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Oh, I do have one more thing. If you're on Apple, leave us a review. Leave us, Pick some of those stars. Let, tell us something you liked. Any press is good press, guys. We, we did get one new one, and I really appreciate whoever did that. So thank you very much, guys. We're just going to keep growing every single yeah. day. If you're on Spotify, follow us. And that's it. That's it. Yeah, guys, thanks so much once again. And as always, join us next time on The, the Long, Long Road, Road Home. Home. We'll see you guys next week. Goodbye, everybody. Sexy Sadie, what have you done? No, the Beatles <laughs> no, are coming after us now. No. I can't see.